I know one thing, championship machine will go vroom vroom, as they say. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five natties for Patty. That's one away from a six-pack. This is the Mainline Podcast. I am Adam Jacquez. With me tonight, Corbin and Tyler. Guys, how are we feeling after that championship win? Excited, relieved. Um, incredible week. Um, this OU softball team, they you know they kept us on our toes uh, for the entire season. They didn't make it any easier on us once we got to postseason play um, and the Women's College World Series. But, I mean, we'll obviously talk about it here in a little bit, but, you know, extremely happy for, for Patty and the girls. Incredible season. Um, and couldn't couldn't have ended it on any better note. Um, maybe other than uh, two o'clock first pitch, would have liked to have had it in prime time. But hey, got the win, national champions five for Patty and OU softball. So fired up about it. Yeah, couldn't be happier to eat my words uh, from the last podcast. If you were listening, my gut told me it was like Sunday is probably it. Now I get a pass there because of all the craziness that happened with the schedules. So who knows? Maybe I could have been right if the schedules were in place. Uh, but couldn't happier to be to be wrong uh, about uh, the, how the season ended up. But guys, I mean, none of us expected this pitching performance at all. Uh, so this was a, a pleasant surprise to see G back to the old ways. Um, and yeah, I tell you what, I mean, an uneventful game three of women's college world series. I mean, the Sooners controlled it from start to finish, uh, which after all the stress we've gone through over the past week, that was a, a warm welcome to have just a game where it really felt, uh, OU controlled just uh, from beginning to end. I was almost that guy after we beat James Madison to advance to the championship series. I, I, I went back to the episode, found that, a uh, little clip, Corbin, talking about uh, looks like they're going to be eliminated. My my guess would be Sunday night. I almost thought about clipping it, putting it up there. Uh, but no, I d- didn't want to be that guy. And super happy for OU softball. They turn it around for sure. Freezing cold takes. But uh, it was one of the wildest weeks because we sat here Thursday night a week ago and just took the L to James Madison. We had no idea what type of shape G. Juarez was in. She hadn't pitched in several games and we threw her out there and all of a sudden, you know, she was back to her normal self, absolutely dominating uh, for the most part. But the Sooners team just, they took the hard road (laughs) to get there, Uh, but they made it. And honestly, it wasn't just today. I felt like it felt like the whole championship series against Florida state was just a little bit anticlimactic. And I don't not to disparage Florida state, but I felt like there were some better teams that we had played before them. Um, so credit to them for getting there, but even with the loss on, I guess it was Tuesday, it just didn't feel like they were at the same level as some of these other teams. Do you guys remember a few weeks ago when we said we didn't know if OU had enough pitching to win a national championship? I mean, welcome back, G. Warren. I mean, go, going back a couple of years ago, the injury that she had, the bicep injury, we didn't know how she was going to bounce back, if she was going to be able to return to her old ways, and you know, she was 23 and one on the season, but it was, it wasn't really truly dominant like what we'd seen before. And boy, did she pick a good time to get hot and pitch her best softball the entire season. I mean, her performance at the world series, earning the MVP honors five and oh, three complete games over 30 innings, 38 strikeouts. And the fact that she appeared in five games and only gave up four runs in her time on the mound. I mean, that's why she was voted the uh, most outstanding player for a reason. And I mean, just just fantastic. We knew the if anybody 
which wouldn't be a part of it, but the group chat was was on fire this week. We talked about it going into game one against James or uh, against Florida State. Who was Patty going to throw? And the obvious answer we all thought was, you got to get game one. It's got to be G. So what does Patty do? She throws Nicole May out there. We find ourselves down seven seven nothing, seven to two, I believe, or what it was. Um, everybody's questioning Patty, and why do we continue to do this year after year? She's the goat for a reason. She proved it again today. Uh, but no, G. Juarez, what she did this this postseason, especially here in Oklahoma City, I mean, you can't say enough good things about it. She was fantastic. Yeah, and I want to give you know a pat on the back to all of us because we all had a play in uh, in swinging the series around. I had been known for reverse jinxing every single text I sent in the group chat. Adam turned off the game last night for some plans, never turned it back on. We end up taking, you know, game two. Tyler shows up for game one, which I, if I would have known that, we would have known it would have been an automatic L. So thanks for not showing up to game two and three. So props to all of us on the pod for doing our part uh, in bringing home number five to uh, Norman, another softball national championship. Adam, our- did you take our advice and stay out of the state of Oklahoma for the game today, or did you come back? <laughs> I I was watching the game today. Uh, I was, of course, working completely hard at my full-time job the entire time. Uh, and uh, so, but yeah, our championship rings are, are in production as well. So uh, we are just as much a part of this team in this win. But um, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, you know, we were texting back and forth on, on game one and Patty's decision to throw Nicole May out there and, she really stuck with her for a long time. I thought at a certain point, Patty was just going to toss the game and say, hey, you know, let's not waste any more of our arm talent. Then she kind of flipped and put sail in there and said, hey, maybe we have a chance. But it was really too little too late at that point because the bats really were not getting enough looks at the pitching uh, from Florida State. And, um, you know, it really wasn't until I think the fourth inning when we got a lot of our second looks there at that pitcher and things started to open up. So, uh, credit to their pitching. I mean, they Florida State uh, hung in there and, and played a great game. I'm glad that we're not sitting here having to really seriously question Patty Gasso's decision making in Game One, but because uh, that would have been that would have sucked to have to you know come on, uh, I guess today and, and talk about losing this series because it felt like for the most part OU was the better team from the get go. Corbin, what were your thoughts on Florida State? Just because I, I mean they. They're in this position for a reason. Obviously, they're a really good team. And even though we lost the first game, I was never really concerned because just by watching the teams play, like you could tell that OU was the better team. They just didn't showcase that in game one. And, you know, I, one of the things paying attention being at game one was looking at the scoreboard and looking at every batter for Florida State come up, looking at their stats, looking at their average. And just by looking at it, there wasn't a single player on that team that was hitting above 300. I'd say probably 70 to 80% of our girls are hitting 350, 400 or above. So I was never truly worried, but you got to just, you know, you got to tip your cat to Florida State. Scrappy bunch, small ball, fantastic coach, OU alum, I might add. Um, But just kind of what were your thoughts on Florida State? Yeah, I mean, talk about a team that just got hot at the right time. And you see that in postseason across sports all across the you know the country and regardless of what sports is taking place is hot team, the right time, solid pitching. It gives themselves a chance. And you got to tip their hat to their coach for making an adjustment about two months ago from being a power hitting team and switching up the lineup to becoming a small ball team. And it did wonders for them. Um, so, yeah, I think they, they are what they are. Um, there's a reason we look at averages on a year. They were hitting the crap out of the ball uh, for the majority of the Women's College World Series. But at some point, 
you you stumble back to exactly kind of what you are, and that that was the case. And I think that's probably what was the most frustrating thing about the Tuesday night game, game one. It was like, who is this OU team? That may be the worst game we have seen them play all year long, and they got beat. And I, I I'm a kind of different from you, Tyler. Game two early on, I was a little bit worried. Um, there was a ton of momentum with the OU bats early. The umps made a couple really bad calls and it seemed to take the entire energy out of the team there for a bit. And then Florida state goes and takes the lead. Um, so I think there was some, some nerves there, but man, uh, give it up to, to Patty and the team and give it up to the crowd in Oklahoma city, uh, especially last night, um, game two, when OU started to really come alive, that place looked absolutely electric. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, but I, I do think, you know, Adam, I, I, I see what you're saying with Florida State, not the second best team in the country, but OU's been doing this to teams left and right all year long. So I don't know really how to classify Florida State if they should have been that championship game based on talent alone. When you look at what they did, what OU did against Oklahoma State, came back against James Madison and convincing victories, uh, took care of UCLA, very convincing, took care of Georgia, very convincing. So it's like, I don't know where to, to kind of rank the teams based on how they played OU because yes, OU lost a couple games in this tournament and then they also, you know, run ruled or almost run ruled everybody else. Um, and so it, it's hard to kind of put um, that ranking in place of was Florida state the, you know, ideal number two team to be going up against Oklahoma. It, it's hard to say. This game was tough being that the NCAA put it at two o'clock on a Thursday it didn't really have that atmosphere. Even though the crowd showed up, it was mostly full. They were energetic and into the game, but the game just didn't have the juice that you would expect a game three uh, you know, series to have. And it almost felt like, you know, what, what was it? The second uh, at bat, OU hits a home run, uh, Jocelyn Allo. And it just felt like from that point, like Florida State knew they didn't have a chance and it was just running out the, the clock at that point. Um, you know, thanks for being a participating uh, team in the World Series, but this was OU's to to take. And I felt like, you know, you heard it from their coach midway through the game with her in in game interview that they knew they knew. Well, I think that's what one of the most surprising things about this tournament was for this OU softball team is the fact that you know we've seen them all season long. You look up and it's six nothing, eight nothing in the first or second inning, and it seemed like OU was always having to fight and come from behind in all these games. So once you did get that big hit from Jocelyn Allo today, make it a one zero lead. You almost you could kind of exhale as an OU fan, and then once Jada Coleman got involved, her home run is sending it to two zero. You know you could kind of feel the momentum. G, G was dealing. I mean, what a gym she threw today. You could tell that she was on from the get go. And once OU got their offense rolling with G's performance on the mound, I mean it was just a it was just a perfect storm. The Florida State was wasn't able to overcome but guys one of the things we we talked about and we we heard patty talk so much about how the game of softball is growing and you know there's stats to point out that this is the one this is the fastest growing collegiate sport in america right now i mean i i'm as big of an ou football fan as any i'm just as nervous watching ou softball and i feel like i'm just as invested watching this team year in and year out as i am with whatever lincoln riley and his guys are doing but guys talking about the amount of eyes that are that are on this sport, the amount of eyes that were on this championship series. I mean, we got the results last night. Game two averaged over 2 million viewers. At one point, towards the very end of the game, there were 2.6 million people watching this game. And Adam, you brought Adam, you and Corbin, you guys brought up the umpires and the bad calls and the fact that on the biggest stage in college softball here, here in Oklahoma City, 
ESPN bragged all week about how we've got 42 different camera angles to bring you the biggest and the best, uh, you know, uh, vantage points, all the action going on. And we don't have a single opportunity for replays. There was bad call after bad call. I didn't have a chance to, to see Nicole Mendez's play yesterday running to first base live. But Adam, whenever you, I think it was you that you sent, you put that text, that picture in the group text, and she was safe by half a second. I mean, this is too big of a stage, and the fact that this is the only sport that I can really think of at this level that you don't have replay to come in. I mean, NCAA's got a long way to go, and they've got to fix this going into next year. I agree. And, I mean, maybe you don't have replay for regular season or the Big 12 tournament or even regionals or super regionals, but when you get to the World Series where you can go to a commercial break during a replay review, ESPN needs to throw their weight around because that would make the sport better, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's just so much growth here. Uh, like you mentioned, the stadium's expanded. It's packed out. Um, it looks awesome. Um, and people are, are invested in it. And I really think the flow of it, a lot of people complain about how there's no breaks for the girls. And I understand that. But from a fan perspective, it's actually really great, in my opinion, because every single day there's a game and we really don't need a huge buildup, you know, before a championship series, simply because let's be honest, most people are not that big in depth into a national softball scene. We don't need, you know, a week of previewing a Florida state softball team. Let's just dive right in and play the games. And I think that's what keeps people uh, coming back to the sport, uh, you know, time after time and why it's continuing to grow. Yeah, I think there's a couple things, right? So, so for one, it's not like there isn't replay in college softball because the SEC tournament had no problem implementing instant replay uh, for their softball championship. Why that isn't the case, in, and I would I would take it a step further. I, don't, I would say every conference tournament and every everything past that, supers, um, regionals, all of that, heading up to college that that needs replay. I mean, one vital call can change an entire series and change an entire outlook on um on how you know the teams are going to progress and, and, and so on and so forth but um but it's wild guys i mean i saw the numbers in, in game one of the women's college world series outdid both nhl playoff games um that same night that's unbelievable um so yeah the sport is growing and the ncaa as the ncaa does is slow to adapt um i would hope at least the women's college world series next year has replay in place um, because that thankfully the call in game two at first base, excuse me, um, didn't decide the outcome of the game, but it very well could have, that was a big momentum swing in that moment early on in the game. And that just can't happen. I understand the argument of the reason, the, one of the big reasons people love softball so much is because of how fast the games are. And if you add instant replay, it does slow down the game. 100% factual. But I, I think you could do it in a way where a coach has one or two challenges per game. And the, these are not going to take very long. I mean, it is cut and dry. It's not like we're working with other sports where there's a lot of factors um, that come into play and in making a call on who touched it last and what's the time on the clock. Like, there's none of that. She's safe or she's not safe. She's out or she's out. It's a catch or it's not a catch. It's, it's a very more simplified version of the instant replay that we're seeing in other sports. And, I mean, college volleyball has this in regular season. So I, I don't I don't want to hear that it's not possible. That needs to be in place next year. I, I can understand the standpoint of I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Corbin, talking about how one of the reasons why softball is so appealing from a viewership standpoint is because of the fast pace. You know, it's it's one thing right after the next, but also at the same time too, 
not having replayed the Women's College World Series is almost a disservice to all the teams that are playing right now because, I mean, obviously the the call that I brought up with Mendez, you know, being safe last night, you know, I, that's the, the that having instant replay would have been beneficial to OU, but I want it to be beneficial for all teams. I want, you know, I, I don't want somebody to get screwed. I don't want them ever to be put in a position where, you know, a missed call ultimately costs you a game, costs you a run or an inning, something like that. Um, but no, you talk about, I, I think that that's a great, great idea. I mean, give, give the coaches a couple challenges in their back pocket and, you know, talking about how instant replay could potentially slow down the game. How, how quick is the turnaround from seeing a play live to ESPN having the replay up on TV to see that it was either a good or a bad call? I mean, it's less than two to three seconds. So, um, there's gotta be a way for them to be able to implement that going forward. Um, so that, that's definitely one thing that they need to make, uh, make some adjustments on. And ho- hopefully they've got that um, once we get to Oklahoma City next year. Let me ask you guys before we move on from this. I know G was the MVP of the Women's College World Series. Let's take it a, a, a step further. Let's take the entire Women's College World Series into account, not just the championship series. Uh, who would be your MVP from Oklahoma for the you know 13 games that it felt like they played? <laughs> has to be Mackenzie Donahue and she was who I was about to bring up uh after we finished the replay discussion but I mean she was just incredible from hitting all those home runs stomping on the plate which is absolutely disrespectful and I love it um to uh you know all those catches out there uh in left field the just absolute energy and momentum that she created for this team out of usually batting like sixth or seventh in the lineup totally unexpected not necessarily what our strategy is, is to get that, you know, position to carry the team, but she was doing it when the team was on the ropes, you know, on the uh, verge of elimination, she came up huge out of nowhere, you know, a player that really wasn't starting a ton throughout the year. And she was incredible. And it made it even better that she was from right here in Mustang, Oklahoma. So um, absolutely loved what she was able to do. MVP for me. You're talking about a player that, started less than half the games in the regular season she didn't play in the first game against james madison coach puts her in the lineup she finishes the uh the world series she hits three home runs uh you know multiple digit rbis i mean she went from not starting to batting fifth uh in in game three of the of the championship series no she was fantastic um social media is so freaking fun when your teams are doing well, I mean, seeing all the air Donahue stuff all the plays all the celebrations danny cannell eat shit um, we, we could talk about that here in a second, but no, I thought McKenzie Donahue was good. My MVP, I, I feel like Jocelyn or I feel like G was the most valuable, but if I'm talking about, you know, maybe biggest moments or who had the biggest impact, I've got to go with Jocelyn. There were a couple different moments in this, in this world series where OU was, you know, kind of on the ropes, couldn't get anything going offensively. Um, the thing that sticks out for me, obviously going back to UCLA, they're down three, nothing, uh, in the third inning, can't really get anything going offensively. She hits a triple, drives into Cole Mendez, gets the offense going. And then, guys, honestly, the thing for me, Florida State had this thing in the back. I mean, oh, you couldn't get a thing going in, uh, in the first game. Um, last night, they were struggling, hitting ground balls, and then, bam, top of the sixth inning, Allo hits a two-run home run, gives us the lead, and OU found their offense and got things rolling right after that. So while I think G was the most valuable player of the team, and for me, who I think had the biggest impact in ultimately OU getting to, to you know, claiming their fifth national championship, I got to go with Jocelyn Allo. 
yeah, you can make an argument for all three. I mean, it's it's one A, B, and C. Uh, they've all had those moments. Uh, Donahue, you take the first half of the the women's college world series, it's completely her. Um, but then as things go on, you start to get Aloe involved, G's involved. But I, I agree with you, Tyler. The the moments that that Aloe took, especially in this Florida State series, um, was impressive. And she's starting to have that. Um, not even starting. She's been having that as of late what you saw from the presence of a Baker Mayfield, a Kyler Murray, where every time that she steps up to the plate, everything stops. Everybody's got their eyes on what's about to happen because you don't want to miss something really special because of one swing, regardless of how much power you think she gets on it, it's got a chance to be gone. Um, She's an incredibly special player and, um, it's exciting to think already. This is what we do as OU fans. It's exciting to think already about next year, right? Like we lose a couple of pitchers in this. Uh, so that's going to be the big question mark is like, what's the pitching going to look like next year? But you know what? We've been saying that for the past two months about the softball team and they figured it out. So I'm not too worried about that at the moment. We'll circle back on it next year. Adam, a question that I have for you, and we'll kind of open this up to, to, to everybody, but we talked, you know, in our interview with Plank and, you know, even going a little bit further back, you could tell that something was special about Patty's group this year. You know, the offense has been fantastic, number one. You know, it, it would take forever to go down the list of statistics that this offense was ranked number one in everything from batting average, run score to game. They were fantastic. But, Adam, do you think, and obviously, you know, we, we I feel like we have a pretty good understanding of the OU softball program, um, all of their history going back to Patty's time here in Oklahoma. But do you think that OU's performance this year, does Patty's group, do they have an argument that this could be the greatest softball team that's ever played? Uh, that's tough. Um, I don't know about greatest ever because I just don't know other programs nearly as well. I'm not even convinced that this is the best OU team that's ever played. The hitting was Ooh. impressive. Uh, the hitting was incredible all year. And by the end of the season here in the World Series, the pitching had caught up and was you know, just on par with, with what G was doing. But that pitching wasn't necessarily with this team at every point throughout the season. So um, I don't want to be the rushing to call them the greatest ever. Um, let's I'm going to celebrate this championship and, and let it settle in and digest and then probably make a call on something like that. So cop out answer. They have to be um, in the argument. Have to. Um, you can't go win a national championship, break the single season home run record as a team, um, and not be in that argument in some way, shape or form. I agree early in the year. And, and we know like this was not OU's toughest schedule by any stretch of the imagination. They did to teams what they should be doing to teams, but still they took care of what they needed to take care of. And they, they cemented themselves as national champions. If they don't win this series, then they go down as one of those teams, like kind of the, that feeling of the best that never was type of thing, um, where all this talent, all these records broken at the end of the day, they didn't get the deal done. Thank God we don't have to talk about that. Um, but this absolutely has to be one of the teams in the top four, five, six conversations of the best ever. If you don't want to say the greatest team of all time, I think that we can probably confidently say that this is the greatest offense that we've seen in college softball. I mean, top to bottom, number one in all categories. And I think one of the things that's been kind of giving uh, softball fans, particularly here in Norman, a little reason for concern, maybe not to quite put them in the same category as what we've seen from the UCLA's, the Arizona's past OU teams, um, has been the pitching. You know, this team, you know, going into the postseason play, we didn't have a dominant pitcher like a Paige Parker or Keelani Ricketts, but – Paige Parker and Keelani Ricketts, that dominant performance that they had in their career – 
G. Juarez showed that in the, in the championship series and it, particularly in the College World Series as a whole. So, you know, obviously we'll let this settle in, let it digest, and, you know, we can reflect on it uh, as we get closer to next year. But, no, this this is definitely – you're right, Corbin. This is definitely a top three, maybe top five team of all time. And, you know, super fun ride. Glad we got to be a part of it. Guys, one other thing that I did want to point out, going into next year, OU is going to be loaded again. I mean, the, the the fact that you're going to have seven of nine starters, you're, you're losing two of your best pitchers, G's gone, uh, you know, Shannon Sells, C's gone, Mindy, I think, you know, we, we talk about pillars when it comes to, you know, programs, you know, Quade Cummins last week, Nicole Mendez, what she did at her time at OU, she's going to be truly missed, one of the uh, one of the unsung heroes of the OU softball program. But then just looking, guys, look at the lineup. Jocelyn's back. T.R. Jennings is back. I mean, Grace Lyons, Kenzie Hansen, and then, oh, we are going to have Nicole May back, everybody's favorite, love her, what she did as a freshman. But then also looking at what they did in the class of 2021, Patty's signing class. You've got the number one, three, five, 11, 14, and 22 players in the 2021 softball class coming to Norman next year. And by the way, the number one overall player is a pitcher. So I think that Patty will be will be just fine, and I think that we should be. Obviously, we're going to let this soak in, but I think you, you can look at next year's expectations Hopefully, we're going to be right back in the same situation playing for a championship again. What are the odds we uh, have Jumpman uniforms for softball next year? Uh, I'll stretch that in the next three years. If Jordan's yeah. not, if they're not going to get involved in softball, it's a huge mistake. We'll see. Uh, but I know one thing, championship machine will go vroom vroom, as they say. Uh, so <laughs> Patty will have us uh, back here in just a second. <laughs> And there is the opening line quote. We just found it. Maybe, maybe. You, you guys know the meme I'm talking about, right? No. Uh, no okay. All right. It's not something I just made up. All right. All right. Well, uh, speaking of other championships, uh, some this big news. Off the rail. <laughs> this pot is off the rails. Yeah. Some big news did come out today in regards to how college football uh, is going to be um, potentially handling their playoffs uh, going forward as maybe as early as 2023. Uh, the uh, committee suggested or recommends, I guess, rather the 12 team format. So uh, Corbin, what's your initial thoughts and takeaways after seeing what they presented? Yeah, well, let's break it down a little bit from what I read, Adam, and maybe I misread it, but this couldn't take place until 2025 or 2026. Um, I think that's correct. Again, maybe I misread that it could be 2023, but I don't think they'd make an adjustment that fast. So the whole goal here, um, is a 12 team playoff format. And let me kind of walk through how this was going to be set up right now. And I think this is far from over. Um, but basically you have the six highest ranked conference championships, uh, champions, excuse me. So SEC, big 12, ACC, big 10, PAC 12, and then one more. I don't know what that sixth one is. I'm assuming it's just the, the best at large conference champion at that point. Um, and then you have an additional six at large spots. Uh, the four highest ranked conference champions get a buy. Five through 12 play each other with the higher seed getting the home field advantage. Um, and that's kind of the initial layout. So it has bits and pieces of what we've discussed on the pod previously about playoff expansion of what we'd like and what we don't like. I like that the top four teams do get a buy. Um, I like that five through 12, the higher seed has home field advantage, which also kind of sucks if you're in the top four that you don't get a home playoff game. Uh, so that's something I, I'm not a huge fan of. My two biggest questions just off the top of my head was one, what do you do with the Notre Dame? Uh, Heather Dinich from The Athletic has confirmed via Twitter with this setup, if Notre Dame goes undefeated, 
regardless of where they're ranked, like they, they will not be in the top four. Um, they, they will not ever have a bye because they're not a conference champion. That's interesting to me. Uh, the second point, I think moving to 12 is, do you cap the number of conference teams that are allowed into the playoff? Um, and, and if you do, what does that look like? Because if you're going to say, Hey, sec, we're going to cap you at three teams. You're going to get a ton of pushback from the best conference in college football um, because they're already getting in almost two every single year at this point. So those were the two kind of initial reading it. What are my, my first thoughts is what do you do with Notre Dame? I don't like the fact that they can't get a first round buy if they deserve it. Um, and two, do you cap uh, the amount of teams per conference that are allowed in? How do you guys feel about automatic seeding with regards to the five, uh, the five conference champions? I mean, do you think that that should essentially be once you get your five conference champions, then you let the playoff committee basically essentially seed those? That's for sure going to be set in stone, your one through five, and then you go from there after the fact? Or do you think it's still going to be you could have the Pac-12 champion be the seven or the eight seed based on what's going on around the country also? I think that's tough because there's certainly been years where maybe central florida has been a better champion than anybody from the pac-12 uh, until clemson came around the acc had some pretty weak champions so uh, i'm not a huge fan of that i i appreciate that they're putting value on winning your conference championship i think that's a good thing that makes those games big still uh, but again like you brought up corbin that's tough what if Nor- what if notre dame is the best team in the entire country one year and they're playing they don't get the buy they're the five seed essentially it's a little wonky um it, it's it's this still needs some work here we need some refining and i think the 12 team format's probably the right way to go i think we on a podcast maybe a month or two ago we took a look at this and the sec would have gotten more than two teams in maybe like once or twice in the last six seven years so it's not something that i think is going to be incredibly unbalanced i don't know it, there's a lot of things that i think you can still look at and, and pick at i, I think I, that that changes that changes if there's an opportunity for 12 teams to get in and who the committee decides to put in there. Cause at this very moment, what you do with five through 12 does not matter. It can be an sec team or it cannot, if you truly don't believe they're in there. But I think we've already seen like it's human nature, it's money, it's dollars. Those things drive decision makers. And if you can get five or six sec teams in there, that's going to be more profitable especially with ESPN and SEC's contract agreement. So I think that changes when when it could potentially matter of who's actually in that top 12 and how many from each conference. I'll have to go back on social media, and I can find it on Twitter, but somebody went all the way back. Once the playoff era began, they took the top 12 teams from the final college football playoff rankings and put it in there. 20 teams from the Big Ten, 19 teams from the SEC, 12 from the from the Big 12. So kind of, you know, a little bit more dominant towards the Big Ten and the SEC, but Big 12 is going to find some teams in there. And Corbin, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, once you get into that 5 through 12 seeding, I, I kind of feel like the playoff committee, everything is going to be based entirely on what's going to bring in the most revenue. It's all going to be about dollars and cents. Whenever it comes down to that 12 seed, are we going to put in an 8 and 3 Florida team who's got a who has a that's a national brand, that's a national fan base or are we going to put in you know, an 11 and two Cincinnati, somebody that's not going to draw as big of a crowd, 
um, doesn't have as big of a fan base that's going to travel, buy ticket revenue, uh, various things. So I, w- we can all agree that this is all being done based on money. It's all money driven. That's why we're adding, you know, that's why we're bumping it up from four to 12, more games, more revenue. One of the big concerns that I have, or maybe not a concern, but a huge question mark that I have, what's this going to do the regular season? Not as far as watering down the product, because I think that this is going to make it a lot more competitive. The fact that you're going to have more teams playing later into the year with a chance to make it into this, you know, 12 team playoff. But my question in regard to scheduling is, if you leave it how it is right now, OU's playing a 12-game regular season. The 13th data point is the conference championship. Then are you going to be asking them to play potentially two to three more games on top of that? Or do you have to essentially maybe dial it back on the non-conference schedule, whether get rid of the non-conference schedule, cut it back from three to one? But if you're going to be asking these kids you know, to play 15, 16 games in a season, I mean, that's that's a, that's a lot. I think the the model is what just happened this past year in the Big Ten where they sacrificed a conference game and then had every team play on the conference championship Saturday because these athletic directors are not going to want to give up these non-conference home games that generate a ton of revenue. So I think that's the scenario you, you go with going forward. And, and just from a you know regular season perspective, I think it's great for the Miami, the UNC, the Wisconsin, Oregon's, those types of programs. I think for a a program and a fan base like OU, it's kind of a negative for the regular season because when we lose to Iowa State or Kansas State the next time, it's not this heartbreaking, like near season ending opportunity where it's like, man, you got to go perfect the rest of the way. It becomes a, eh, okay, we'll just learn and get better. And we'll, we'll, we still have another loss we can take at that point, even. And then, even on top of that, you know, you're, you don't have the hand wringing and all the other matchups that you're watching at the end of the year. Is Auburn going to beat Georgia? Is it going to knock one of these teams out and, and provide a spot for OU to get into the playoff? Because realistically, OU should be in the top 12 every single year. No excuses ever. So, it, it, I don't know. For OU fans, I think it makes the regular season, season worse. How do you guys feel about conferences as a whole? Now that we're going to be expanding the playoff, going from four teams to twelve, do you want to in a in a perfect world? Do you ideally want to keep the five power conferences, or essentially we kind of talked about it in a previous pod? Do you want to go more towards like a super league type deal where it's it's all based on you know the region that you're playing in? Um, you know, you set up these you know four anywhere from four to six you know s- sets of ten. Everybody plays together essentially what I'm saying is since you're going to be moving it to 12 teams, I would much rather see OU play Arkansas or OU play Texas A&M or OU, you know, Oregon, instead of the the same thing each and every year where we're playing in Lawrence, we're playing in Manhattan, so on and so forth. I just don't know how you do it with the TV contracts. Uh, I don't, I just don't know how you eliminate all conferences because, because there's a couple things there. One all of those TV contracts are going to expire at different times. So it's not like at just one point you can just be like, okay, we're all done and we're going to go start our own thing. But I think the, I think the conference championship comp- uh, component of this 12 team playoff is one of the things I actually like. I like that every conference championship or champion is going to get in, you know, and have a chance. They may be a power five champion and be eight and four, but if they won their conference, then, you know, they've got an opportunity to go compete for it. So I think it'll have better representation, which is probably exactly what we're looking for. The most part is to have more teams and more conferences represented in this. Um, I just I just don't know. I think down the line, that's inevitable is to eliminate conferences, 
but I just don't know if that's anytime soon just because I don't know how TV is going to make that work. Do you really think it's more about giving more teams an opportunity to win a national championship or is it essentially we're going to do this because it's going to create more games, more dollars, and ultimately we know that essentially there's going to be four to five teams each and every year that are probably going to be the only ones that have a realistic shot to win a national championship. Because even though you're expanding it to 12, it's still going to be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. You might get an upset here, here and there, but at the end of the day, I feel like you're going to be, it's going to be the same thing at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Ohio States, the OUs, the Alabamas are going to bring the big eyeballs to the TV games. But really, expanding it is going to help get the you know the second and third tier type teams that are not blue bloods to get them engaged on a regular basis. And I think that's you know the as far as conference movement is where you're going to see the biggest difference because now a Kansas State or an Oklahoma State or a Baylor or a TCU can make the playoffs a lot more easier than they could in the past. And I think that's an area where you can potentially really strengthen your argument for conference uh, realignment for the Big Twelve because. K-State makes the playoffs, if Iowa State makes the playoffs, Nebraska is going to sit there going, man, here in the Big Ten, Ohio State and Penn State and Wisconsin and Michigan make it every year, and we we think we're better than Iowa State and Kansas State. We should go to the Big 12. Same thing with Arkansas. And I mean, I don't think Arkansas has a chance at the playoffs, really, even in this format. I think it does help, and I, I want to give credit where credit's due. Josh McQuish from Suda Scoop threw this on Twitter. This helps recruiting to level out substantially. Because right now, you're spot on, Tyler. you got four or five teams every single year that have a true shot of becoming you know, a team in the playoff. That becomes an entirely different selling point of you can show up at an Oregon. You can show up at a Penn State. You can show up at a Texas A&M. You can show up at these teams who have you know, not known for actually being in true contention of a playoff very often and say, like, we're going to be in the top 12 every single year. And you don't have to just go to a Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma to get into the playoff. I think one thing I I'm, don't love at the moment about college football is there's not a whole lot of parity. There's not. And this does have the opportunity on the recruiting level. It's going to take years to develop, but on the recruiting level to actually even the playing field just a little bit. It may at the end of the day still be the top three or four teams, but at least there's some opportunity there for kids to go to different schools and still have a realistic shot of playing in the playoff. And that that could shake things up. At the end of the day, this is a rough draft. This is to get the ball rolling, let the conversation start to be had. But one of the things, just by looking at the, you know, kind of the the genuine the layout uh, of what this 12 team playoff is going to look like, if I'm if I'm seated one through four, I'm kind of pissed I'm not getting to host a playoff game for my fan base. I mean, if you were going to ask me, just like this year alone, if OU runs the table, they're 12 and 1, 13 and 0, they're a top four seed. I think that it's crap that it might, I'm not going to be able to host a playoff game in front of my fan base, but you're maybe looking at a Texas A&M that's going to have two to three losses. They're going to be one of those five to eight seeds, and they're going to be able to host a, a playoff game. I mean, there's, I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is I understand having a bye week, having the extra time to, to rest, but I also think that there's probably not an athletic director in America that would take a, another bye week uh, instead of being able to host a college football playoff game um, at their home stadium, in front of their fans, in front of their community. Um, especially, like we said, it's all about money. That's just another game day's worth of revenue for, for Campus Corner and all the vendors right here in Oklahoma. Yeah, and to go kind of against your point, Adam, earlier, I see what you're saying about how like this is a negative for OU and OU fans, but the potential of a home playoff game is positive. 
And that that is something that our schedule in the Big 12 desperately needs is a big time game we can look forward to. But I agree, like it doesn't make any sense. How can you be one of the best four teams and then miss out on all that revenue? Um, that doesn't add up. So that's why I'm still, I, I think going back to, I think I was more of a fan of an 18 playoff. Uh, you get those, those top four teams, the, the, the home uh, advantage, and that's the way I think it should go. But, um, but yeah, I, I think they probably settled on 12 being the number, but again, I think you're spot on Tyler. This is a very rough draft. We got a long way to go uh, before this thing's all ironed out. Yeah. I think it should be flipped. So the one through four get a home playoff game and them having the buy as well. will just, ramp up the excitement and the energy in those college towns, give people time to get to uh, Norman if they want to travel in from across the country as well. So I think that that's pretty exciting and we will have a lot of time to dissect this. It's the off season still, and there's going to be even more and more uh, details that come out, different people that will say yay or nay on certain aspects of this. So we'll have plenty of time to dive into a lot uh, deeper detail, but um, we do have a little bit more that we want to cover today. And uh, before we jump into that, if you have made it this far in the podcast, I guess we're somewhat entertaining. So you're enjoying it. Jump onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Uh, that helps us out a ton. So we greatly appreciate that. Uh, we're going to wrap things up with a little bit of a uh, word association game. Association game. So Tyler, uh, give us the rundown here on how this is going to work. Yeah, this is something that uh, we're stealing from the Unnecessary Roughness guy, uh, the college football podcast with Barstool. They put this out this week. I thought it was a fantastic segment. I thought it could be something that we could do that would be highly entertaining, but in both serious uh, and have a few funny responses. But basically what we're going to do, it's college football edition. We've each came up with anywhere from 10 to 15 of these things. Um, throw out your word or your phrase, and then the other two, we're going to you know, give the, the first thing that pops into our head uh, in our rebuttal for that. So we'll just let's just go one back and forth. Adam, we'll start with you, Corbin, and uh, we'll just go from there. We'll see where this takes us. Number one on my list, Ellinger. Res- <laughs> okay. uh, respect the, res- hate, hate the team, hate the uniform that he wears, respect the hell out of the kid. Fantastic player. Um, good college quarterback, tough, but I mean, he's a Texas guy, but respect the hell out of him. I mean, I'm just sad. Like his brother just died. It's like, it's the only thing, like, I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, that wasn't really what I was trying to go for there. I was just trying to see, you know, how we felt as OU fans about, you know, one of their more recent quarterbacks that's done incredibly well. Um, by their standards, not by you know others, but just just curious. I mean, I'm not trying to bring something bad <laughs> or, or anything. You're you're good. You're good. Right. What's that? Core, what you got? Uh, all right, my first one is night game. What is What's that? that? <laughs> ah, there it is. There it is. Something <laughs> something every OU fan is uh, is dreaming of and searching for. The only other thing I would have said was uh, was with Death Valley. Yeah, not game, not game at LSU. I get, I get a lot of them. Yep. All right, yep. next up, um, Texas A&M. Sucks. Colt. Yeah, Colt's a good one. Yeah. Nice. Uh, n- next on my list, Gundy. <laughs> I had that one too. You beat OU. Uh, glass ceiling. There, they they've peaked. Yeah. That's interesting. So the reason I put that on there, because I wanted to see if you guys thought of Mike Gundy or Kale Gundy mm. or even Casey Gundy. Oh, I, uh, I think but, uh, OSU fans, you've uh, you've maxed out what you're going to get out of Mike Gundy. Yeah. 
I agree. But the, I don't know if they're going to do any better, though. That's the thing. Um, but anyway, next word. Uh, heartbreak. Boise Rose State. Bowl. I was going to say Georgia. Tony Michelle. Oh. God oh. damn it. All right, next for me. Uh, best tailgate food. Best tailgate food. I don't know why I'm thinking fajitas, because that is not a tailgate food. But <laughs> it's in my blood, so we'll go with that. Uh, wings or like chips and queso. I can't decide between those two. Yeah. Ha- jalapeno poppers. Kind of under the radar. Mm-hmm. A little cream cheese nice. and sausage mixed in. Yeah, go with that. There we go. What do you got, Just- Ellinger? <laughs> Whaley. Dominique? Yeah. Yeah. 64 uh, yard touchdown run. Uh, one of my favorite Brent Musburger calls in the uh, OU Texas game from a few years back. Yep. That's exactly what came to mind for me. Nice. Um, party school. Arizona State. Liberty. I mean, Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going Ole Miss, the Grove. That's a good one. That's I was going to say West Virginia or, or Arizona State. Nice. I'm going to take. I'm going to take that one off here. Uh, Jim Harbaugh. Loser. Tackies. <laughs> <laughs> Overrated. His time. His time. His time's almost up too. Yeah, probably. Uh, next on my list, Fiesta. I'm thinking Boise State also. The uh, Statue of Liberty play, hook and ladder. God damn who, it, Adam. Who was uh, the – it wasn't Pat White. Who was the West Virginia running back that absolutely tore us up in the Fiesta Bowl? Was it Noel Devine? Noel Devine. There yeah. you go. Yeah. That's the name. Um, wide receiver you. Oh, God. Man. I feel like that's changed so many times over the past few years. I mean, Oklahoma's kind of had a claim to it with the success they've had. Uh, Ohio State's good. Alabama's on a hell of a roll right now. I mean, that one offense that had four first-round picks on that roster. Ohio State's going to be good this year. I don't know. Um, uh, if I had to say it. Not to me. USC? Yeah, and I don't know why. They just feel, I feel like they just kind of have that aura of like – Reggie Bush, Matt Leinart, those days, dude, they had some dudes. And they always – that's the one thing they will never lack is is athletes at the wide receiver position. Yeah, they even had them last year. I, I don't think I could tell you one recent USC wide receiver. I but, agree. I, but I know that they were good. Yeah, there's a there's this notion about USC wide receivers. I think They're I'd probably more. have to go Alabama. I mean, when you look at some of the guys that they've got in the league, Julio Jones – I mean, Jerry Judy, Ruggs, I mean, not to be all, you know, recency biased, but, you know, Smith's in it now. So probably Alabama at this point right now. Yeah, that's the one. Um, next up for me, ooh, um, Danny Cannell. Just so classy. Clickbait. Humble. Nice. That's, uh, that's, I've, I've said all I want to on that. Uh, number five on my list, Dabo. Fake. Uh, good old boy. That's how I view Dabo. Um, Goat. MJ. There's there's one name in the college football realm that should have this title, and that's it. I guess we're going to have a college football answer. I mean, am I supposed to be thinking OU? I mean, my immediate thought as it pertains to OU is is Bake. I mean, that's... I wasn't thinking OU. I was just thinking college football. College football Goat? Probably yeah. Saban. Yeah, Saban. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there you go. I don't know. I was fixated on players for some reason. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, next up for me, 
Mike Stoops. Boca Raton. What good riddance. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-year firing. Yeah. 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 I don't want to dive into that. Um, next <laughs> on my list, Mac. Huh? Mac. Thursday night, baby. Yeah. Maction. Action. Oh, okay. I was I was thinking Mac Brown. Oh, okay. Ooh, maybe Arheel. Oh, you would have thought differently. There you go. Yeah. Um Scandal. Ohio State. Penn State. I was gonna say Penn State, yeah. Baylor, LSU. <laughs> Michigan's not to bring it down. Again I haven't, I haven't read into that, but that doesn't sound too good it, for Harbaugh. Uh, it's not. Is he involved, Harbaugh, at all? Was it Well, I time. thought that Harbaugh was getting ridiculed because he's like publicly stood up for all that, like defended. I don't know. Maybe, you, maybe I'm off base. <laughs> maybe I'm yeah, off no, base. This is old. This is like from '80s. This is a while ago. Yeah, it's bad. Mm. It's bad. Yeah. Corbin. Tyler. Um Underachiever. AM. Underachiever. There's I two mean, obvious not, ones for me. Yeah, it's gotta be Texas. I was gonna go Texas or Georgia. Top yeah. five recruiting classes every single year. Haven't done a damn thing with them. Georgia's Georgia's won a SEC championship. I mean they've They've been right there. They're they're a different level than Texas. I, I I guess the reason why I'm thinking of it is nobody does less with more than Texas. And when you look at the recruiting rankings, the the how the classes have finished over the last decade, I mean, you can even go just the Kirby Smart era. I mean, it's a top three class every single year, and they just can't figure out a way to get over the hurdle. Now, I like them going into this year. Uh, but up to this point right now, Georgia and Texas uh, underachievers for sure. Yeah, I mean, having, actually... having Alabama uh, in your conference is a little, a little tougher uh, to uh, to get over that hump. Yeah, well, I'll do it. I've got a curveball for you here. Cole. Cole. Shit. And the other one that comes to mind is like Cole Hamill, and that's not even football related. It's kind of a curveball because it's it's not football related. I was thinking uh, Sherry Cole here to see if you guys thought of that or not. But <laughs> for a while, so beef. <laughs> I'm not touching that anymore. <laughs> uh, beer, natty. That's too easy right now. Yeah, natty. Um, best non OU Texas rivalry. Iron Bowl, probably. Florida, Georgia. I would love to get down to Florida, Georgia, or Ohio State, Michigan, if, you know, Michigan ever decides they can compete with with Ohio State. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. Nice. Is it me again? It's Uh, you, dude. Arizona. Big 12 (laughs) 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 add-ons. I'll I'll Uh, hold this. Jenny Finch. I'll hold on <laughs> to my comments there. Um, let's see. I think I only got a couple left. Uh, school song. Boomer Sooner. Yeah. Boomer I'd, Sooner. Say, I'd say Rocky Top. I don't know why. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yep. So you can say the eyes of Texas. That's a popular one right now. 
Um, let's see here. Best kickoff time. Jeez. 11 a.m. Yep. I didn't say the most frequent. I said the best. You heard me. I, I like 11 a.m. from the from a fan standpoint. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's honestly it's 2:30. That's I, the worst for me. 2:30 is the worst. It's the worst for like watching other games, but if there's nothing else on and nothing to do before or after, like it's I think it's great to start a game when the sun's out and finish under the lights. I think that's pretty cool. But I mean, what are the odds of there not being a game you want to watch? It's in a it's in a fantasy world, essentially. Of oh, gotcha. cool. Well, if I would have known that, um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a seven o'clock guy, um, especially in the fall. I like getting there when the sun's going down and you're playing under the lights. Um, yep. A little chilly. Adam, uh, back to you, dude. Yep, it's me. Sunday. Oh no, Adam just said it, right? No, no. Best Sun kickoff Devil. time. What was it? Sun Devils. Arizona, Arizona State? Yeah. Okay. I was just I, I threw both of those in there with Arizona just to see if you guys thought of like good football and neither of you did. So Okay. Uh, <laughs> Longhorns. Trashy fans. LSU. Did you say trashy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. West Virginia. Yeah, those are the only two. I mean, I'm kind of a stereotype. Yeah. Maybe Texas Tech. Throwing yeah. the batteries on the field. Yeah. That was my uh, I still got a few more. Adam, how many more you got? I've got four, I've got four or five more. I've got two more. Lincoln Riley. Great hairline. Quarterback uh, whisperer. May may never reach the peak. Oh. Ooh. See, he he was smirking. I thought he was about to say squib kick. Oh. <laughs> wow. I. All right, let me jump in here before we go any further there. Hurts. Underappreciated. Bad rap. You guys are so nice. (laughs) You got to give us your opinion now. I just think of him not even looking at CD Lamb running wide open. It's a nightmare I have. Good. I don't know if stepping stone is the right word, but. He bridged the gap. Bridge. A, You're right. a good a good placeholder for yep. what, did, what he was good to do. Tom exactly. Herman. Vodka. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Adam, what else you got? Uh, we kind of did this one already. Tailgate. <laughs> Lindsay Street. R.I.P. 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 Tailgate guys. Yeah. Over <laughs> is that another one? Overpriced. <laughs> oh, that, that's all I. I list. What else you got here? Uh, that can be my next one. Overrated. Hmm. Uh, that's kind of a hard one. Yeah, a lot of ways you go there. Yeah, overrated. Uh, early bowl games. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, they have no meaning at all. But people still love him. Baker Mayfield. Just fire. Uh, pretender, right? Not in a sense that like he was, but the whole he hold the pretender sign and all that there stuff. There you go. There yeah. you go. All right, last one here for me. Delusional fan base. A and M. I don't want to say AM. That's the obvious answer. It's yeah. the answer. It's got to be AM. It's got to be AM. We're, we're going to do, 
coming up, we're going to do an entire segment on the Texas A&M fan base. I don't think they deserve that kind of time from us. Yeah. I mean, that's in the Danny Cannell category for me. I'm just not going to give him air time. <laughs> I don't know if anything is as soft as Danny Cannell. My God. <laughs> Heaven well, forbid you celebrate. You just won a national championship. Heaven forbid you celebrate. Well, while Tyler drags out his soapbox, we'll go ahead and uh, put a cap on this. Podcast. I got one more thing oh, that okay, I want to we'll, that I want to get your guys' thoughts on. Something that we we sh- I skipped over accidentally when looking at uh, OU winning the their fifth national championship in softball. Talking about Patty Gasso, fifth national championship, fourth in the last eight years, three out of the last five. Where does Patty rank? Not just in softball, but on the all times list of OU coaches. Is she getting up there close to number one? Is 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 Barry cemented as number one? Uh, I mean, we've had some pretty good gymnastics coaches, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, so I think you have to take that into account. Um, it's it's so early though, and like softball is so different than football. Uh, winning in softball, I think, is at this point still a little bit easier than football. I think we need an entire segment to kind of break that down. There's yeah, a lot. That's tough. That that could be a fun one to have. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Let's do that next week. Um, and like we can actually like really break it down and not not force it in here at the end because I think that's a really good a uh, a good conversation to have. As fun as it was today, watching them win another national championship, it's still so sad the fact that we're going to have to open up next year at Marita Hines Field, number one softball program in America, five national championships in the last twenty years. And one of the worst facilities by comparison to other powerhouses in college softball. And I don't think they're close with regards to the fundraising project. Last thing I heard about a third of the way there. Well, here's what OU fans can do if they're uh, concerned about that. (laughs) Put your money where your mouth is. Sooner club. Uh, Sooner club. (laughs) They're they're waiting on line one. They will take any amount for you. They're not answering the phone, Adam. You know (laughs) Call the ticket office. <laughs> you call the ticket office. Call the senior club to get forward to the ticket office. Uh, this, isn't new, this isn't new, though, guys. OU being behind the facility race all across sports is is it's old news. So this is, should be no shock or surprise, and you should give Patty even more credit than she already is getting for the fact that she's doing what she's doing with what she has. Uh, really speaks to her the the culture that she's built uh, in Norman, Oklahoma, and we should be very very thankful she's leading that program. Absolutely. Yep. Well, a <laughs> great way to end it on a sad note there, but I uh, appreciate everyone listening. And uh, we will be right back here next week again for the Mainline Podcast. So uh, make sure to rate us on Apple and uh, find us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod One. We will see you again next week. 